This is the Ask a Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Senior Editor of Solar Power World. So this isn't the first time that we've recognized this month's solar veteran. Erica Mackey is co-founder and CEO of Grid Alternatives, the largest nonprofit solar installer in the country. We honored Erica as one of our 2016 top innovators and influencers, you might remember that. Enphase's co-founder nominated Erica, saying that she'd rather wear a hard hat and work clothes than button down business attire. She sees solar as a force for social good, a way to ease the energy cost burden on those who spend a big part of their income on their utility bills, and an opportunity to improve the quality of life in disadvantaged neighborhoods. So I'm really excited to get to talk to her today. Erica, thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Kathy, for having me. Absolutely. So I kind of just like to start from the beginning. I think college is a really interesting time to look back to because very few people actually, when they're going into college, are thinking, oh, I want to go into a solar career. I kind of wanted to go back to your time at Southern Illinois University. First of all, are you from Illinois? I'm from Michigan originally. Oh, nice. I see that you did go to school for women's studies and mechanical engineering and physics, so really cool array of topics. So can you kind of talk about what made you make those decisions? I think my story is similar to many people who say, well, it's not a ladder, it's a jungle gym. Um, And that, you know, looking back, everything sort of makes sense. But at the time, it really did seem like a series of random decisions. So I actually went to college twice. The first time out of high school, I went to a small liberal arts school in Indiana called Earlham College. And that's where I studied women's studies. And I dropped out to what I thought saved the world. And I did social work type jobs, did Better Women's Shelter. I did some work with adjudicated youth. A series of things happened in Illinois where there were some budget cuts at the agency that I was at. Um, I ended up saying, well, maybe I should go back to school and finish my degree. And at that point in time, I thought, well, maybe I need some kind of technical skill. So when I burn out in social work, I will have something to do and kind of threw a dart at a dartboard and studied engineering. And that's when I was in school at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. And I studied mechanical engineering and physics, mainly because I couldn't stop taking the physics classes. I just loved them. And so I ended up with a degree in physics and engineering and liked energy a lot. But I often say I'm a social worker turned engineer turned something back in between. And I think I, you know, sort of haphazardly found my way to energy in those early days because it felt like a way that I could use technical skills to do good things in the world. That is so neat. That's such an interesting combination way to use your talents for good. And then I was looking on your on your LinkedIn, at least you it says, you know, you were an engineer at MCOR for a couple years, and then you founded Grid Alternatives in 2004, where you've been happily ever since. So, and as you mentioned, I, I read that you did work with survivors of domestic violence, and you were doing some renewable energy and energy efficiency consulting and sales. So, I'm very curious in that story if you could briefly tell us, you know, after you did graduate from college, what did you do, and then how did you come to Grid Alternatives? 
my first job as an engineer was working for an energy efficiency consulting firm in San Francisco. And I got on the same travel schedule as the other co-founder of Grid Alternatives, Tim Sears. And we did things like audit every Verizon building on the Eastern seaboard, and then write up a big report telling Verizon how they could save millions of dollars on their energy bills by um, doing, you know, energy efficiency, renewable energy type measures. And then the company we worked for would um, bid to manage that construction. The story was that they would ask us, so they would say, Tim and Erica, can you go to New York? Tim and Erica, can you go to Beale Air Force Base? Tim and Erica, can you go to Alaska? So we had to spend a lot of time um, on airplanes and in hotels, kind of thinking about what we're doing in the world. And it was one of those dinners where I leaned across the table and I was like, I'm not sure I really like this kind of work. I couldn't touch and feel that I was making a difference. And um, then I would, you know, fly home from that trip to my place in Oakland and my neighbor across the street could barely pay her bills. And there were five people hanging out on the corner looking for work. And it just felt like, well, how come Verizon gets to use these technologies to save lots of money, except, you know, and real folks in my neighborhood couldn't go solar and um, really had the most to benefit and folks couldn't get jobs in this industry that was just poised for growth. Over one of those hotel dinners, Tim and I hatched the idea for Grid Alternatives And we really just took a flying leap out of corporate America and landed in the back bedroom of my rented place, said, okay, well, we're going to see what we can do here. And we, in 2004, did our first two solar electric installations. Um, And it was just the two of us. We, I don't think, got paid too much. And we had to beg a bunch of people to come out and help us install them. You know, from there, we sort of grew incredibly rapidly. Those two families that had gone solar told their neighbors and their cousins and their, um, you know, family across town and the folks who had come out to help us install told 10 people who told 10 people who told 10 people. And fast forward to today, you know, we're now installing thousands of systems every year, I think 15 megawatts this year alone. And we're training hundreds of people to get jobs in the solar industry. What an amazing organization uh, you've, you've really grown and, and developed. And I want to hear more about that in a minute. But I did want to kind of flash back to our Solar Speaks Live interview at Solar Power International a few years back because I really liked what you said. You said that solar is so much more than just this shiny blue panel. But that when we look at some of the big issues of our time, like the growing gap between rich and poor and the need for good jobs and the climate change, how can we take solar and use it to mobilize our communities? So how is Grid Alternatives working to do that? Grid's work is one of, uh, you know, many organizations in a social justice space working at this intersection of climate injustice, who is paying for climate change, who's on the front lines of climate change, you know, and that intersects with economic injustice, racial injustice, um, immigration, you know, the sort of big things that communities are facing and, you know, the communities that are are really on the front lines, they're on the front lines of all of these issues, not just climate. And so I think 
we've had this fight for so long about like stop doing harm to our communities. And I think that we're going beyond that by saying, okay, well, how do we do real good? How, how can we not just stop polluting in neighborhoods, especially lower economic disenfranchised neighborhoods? Um, and how can we really use this technology to take back rooftops, build businesses, lift up communities. And so, you know, in our way, Grid Alternatives is playing a part in the fabric of what's coming out of communities as a way to really continue to build wealth and power in these frontline communities. That is so cool. It's so motivating and inspiring. So can you kind of briefly just tell us how Grid Alternatives works? I've I've read it described as a community barn raising method. Um, I know that you partner with a lot of manufacturers, which I think is really cool that so many manufacturers are responsive to the work you do. At, at this juncture where we are as an organization, we're doing a lot of different kinds of projects. But at its real core, it's about bringing folks together to make positive change in their community. And that community can be the state of Colorado. That community can be, you know, South Central LA. It can be Pine Ridge Reservation. Um, it can be a lot of different things. But mostly we're doing solar work, although we're starting to do a little more in the electric vehicle space. And, you know, we um, partner with a lot of energy efficiency. But you can kind of think of solar panels are going somewhere. They're, you know, going on the roof or on the ground or on a parking lot canopy. And the community is coming together to both gain skills and gain the benefits of solar. So the economic benefits, the, um, you know, the air quality benefits um, in their community. Barn raising is a, a great analogy because when you think about people rolling up their sleeves and coming together to do something good, barn raising is a great, a great way to, to say that. I think you can kind of think of it as like barn raising with a job training component. So, you know, the way in which we install our solar electric systems provides hands-on classroom on a rooftop or classroom in a solar field um, experience for folks to get the hands-on experience they need to get a job in the growing solar industry. So it's not just about where the panels go and who benefits, it's who's getting those skills and who's going to get those jobs. Very cool. And like you said, I know you do a lot of different types of installations. So, I mean, who who is like funding and paying for these? Are, are the communities or the um, homeowners actually paying for them? Or is everything through grants? How does that work financially? So it depends on the state in which we operate, but we'll really basically take any kind of resources that we can get to make this happen in communities. And we have sort of some guiding principles, which is we want to maximize the economic benefit to the end user. And in our case, the end user is, uh, you know, a family living on a low income, an affordable housing developer, or a mission aligned nonprofit. And we want to maximize the co-benefits. So workforce development, energy efficiency, um, what this does in community. And then that takes 
takes financial resources, and those financial resources come from a combination of what I would consider traditional philanthropy. So an individual makes a donation, a corporation makes a donation, a foundation makes a donation, um, as well as institutional support, which um, can be in the form of a city, a state, a county, could be another government entity, could potentially be a utility. And that support then is combined with, you know, we do, uh, you know, leverage the ITC, the investment tax credit from the federal government by doing sort of financial jizitsu behind the scene so that that doesn't affect a low-income family who's going solar, but allows us to bring in some of that tax credit revenue. And we take all of that together and we do that stuff. We have the back office ability to, to put all those dollars together so that um, Mr. Rodriguez, when he decides to go solar, doesn't have to worry about where are all those dollars coming. He just gets maximum benefit. His daughter gets job training to learn how to install those panels. That's really amazing. That's a big puzzle to put together. You must have a lot of people trying to, to make everything fit together, especially since everything is so different from state to state, like you said. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of offices in California and are very lucky in California to have significant climate investments um, going into disadvantaged communities. So that helps, but certainly without some great policies put in place, it's really tricky to maximize benefit to frontline communities if we aren't as a as a state or a city or the federal government really thinking about um, how our frontline communities first in line for the benefits of renewable power, given that frontline communities have been paying the price for you know generations of our current energy generation. Well, I know that you just installed your 10,000th installation so you must be doing something right and you know we have our audiences a lot of solar installers as well so i'm wondering if you could share some keys to grid success that maybe even would help businesses like theirs i now have been in the solar industry for 15 20 years and you know it's ever changing but i think really combining the sort of passion with persistent good business practices. How do you scale? How do you grow your business? How do you create wealth and ownership for your employees? That would be sort of my my advice is that the how is equally as important as where we're going and that businesses that I have seen that have really um, thought a lot about equity and process along with strong deliverables and metrics for performance are the ones that I hope really continue to grow because that's what gets more megawatts out there, but also creates the job market that we really have an opportunity to create. That is great advice. And I definitely appreciate it. I mean, this is, you said you've been in the industry for 15 plus years, which is why you qualify to make this podcast, because <laughs> I always try to interview people that have at least a decade in solar. And you talked about how it is, it's changing all the time. So I kind of wanted to ask about that. We always talk about in the industry, the solar coaster, different market trends and, you know, things changing on the policy level. I'm wondering if, you know, you as a, a nonprofit see that 
as much and are as affected by all those changing things. We are an installer like any other and a fairly large one at that. Um, So, you know, we're very much affected by panel prices. We're affected by um, the tariff. We are also affected a lot by is the industry growing because so much of our, you know, the work that we are working towards is getting people jobs in the industry. So we really want um, the success of the industry is also the success of our mission. We certainly are affected by a lot of the market forces that the industry is affected by. And I would say that also the communities that we serve are even more affected. You know, it's kind of like, when you're building a house and, you know, you have cost overruns, they're like, ah, well, solar's the first, you know, thing to go. Frequently, we see that with equity. So, you know, the solar industry is doing a great job of thinking about equity and then times get hard and it's like, yeah, well, let's just focus on, you know, trying to make a profit here. And so I think not only are we as a nonprofit affected by the what you're calling the solar coaster, the communities that can most benefit from solar power are also very much affected by choices that the solar industry makes and choices that are made in terms of our energy policy. Very good points. What can the solar industry do better from your perspective and and what you're seeing? Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity for our industry, and it's less about what can the solar industry do better and what are the you know amazing opportunities. I think as we continue to grow as an employment force in this country, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to match those growing jobs with communities that need good jobs. To do that, We have to be more equitable, more diverse employers and companies. One very specific thing that employers can do is think about who you are, you know, how are you recruiting, who are you hiring from, where are you sourcing um, your employees, how are you training them, how are you structuring their opportunities for career advancement, and really dig into that in a way that... I think as a substantial business, we have the opportunity to do. I feel like we've made some mistakes getting here because in the startup climate of an effort to grow, I think a lot of companies are like, okay, we need people fast. I know you, you and you, you look exactly like me. Let's hire you. And I don't think that was the intention, but I think that was some of what happened as startups grew really rapidly. And I think stepping back and really thinking a lot about how we're going to grow a really different kind of solar industry that really is inclusive and making sure we're intentional about that. That is a place where I see a huge opportunity for both becoming smarter, better businesses and more equitable. Right. And just filling that skilled labor shortage uh, that we have as well. So that's really cool how you're helping to train individuals and getting them um, involved in the workforce. Yeah. I mean, I think the the other thing I've been thinking about is movement making and like what parts of what movements is the solar industry part of. And I think making sure that the, the folks in the solar industry are thinking about the ways in which 
we see this as a force and as a movement and how we're, you know, showing up for other like-minded movements, um, I think is going to continue to broaden both adoption and the solutions that we're, that we're looking at. So what's next for GRID? I mean, you've done so many amazing things. What's, what, what's on your radar to do? Over the last several years, a couple of things. One, on the project type, we've been doing more and more larger installations. So our Colorado office located in Denver is doing almost exclusively community solar installations. So larger systems that are not located where the end user is located. Um, So it can be low-income families subscribing to community solar array. So more and more larger systems along with multifamily systems. So systems on the rooftops of affordable housing development developers, which really is low-income tenants. And in fact, in California, there is going to be a a new program that will be rolling out in the fall that is specifically going to work towards making sure that affordable housing developers are providing, uh, are getting solar and are providing those benefits in part to their tenants, um, their low-income renters. So that's really exciting for us to have, you know, both the, you know, Mr. Rodriguez and Mrs. Jones and, you know, helping them go solar, but also helping affordable housing lower their costs, build more affordable housing and provide benefits to low-income renters. Um, So I think you can see from us more and more of that right now, about half of the megawatts we're installing are in single family homes and about half is um, multifamily or community solar. So it's a growing body of our work. And then additionally going deeper um, around workforce development. So more targeted programs for folks coming out of the criminal justice system, um, for opportunity youth, really focusing on folks who would have barriers to employment and making sure that we are providing more opportunities for those folks to get the skills they need to get careers in the solar industry. And sometimes that means additional services beyond just how to install the solar panel. So, you know, things like how do you design it? How do you hold down a job? Resume review, all of that stuff um, continued like going deeper on the workforce development side is another area that we're investing in because that has such an impact in uh, folks' ability to, to, to get jobs and keep those jobs and advance it. Excellent. Very exciting. And I also want to know what's next for you. I mean, do you think you'll ever move on to anything else? (laughs) Is this enough to just keep driving you for the rest of your life? (laughs) Um, You know, I am so passionate about the work that we are doing. And I feel incredibly lucky to get to wake up every day and one, do the work that we do, but also come to work with so many passionate, amazing people. I I couldn't imagine moving on to do something else. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, at some point in time, I won't want to put my feet up and, uh, you know, watch grandkids or something like that but I don't have I don't have any intentions of of leaving I work with amazing people and really am passionate about the work you know I think 
we are as an organization continuing to center equity and racial justice in our organization and think a lot about how are the communities that we serve leading our organization and who in our boards, on our staff and our leadership team has the expertise and lived experience to really speak intelligently about the experiences of the communities that we serve. Um, so I do imagine that, you know, as we grow, there will be more and more expertise beyond the expertise that we currently have um, as our leaders. And certainly I am excited to continue to, to learn and grow and take the leadership of uh, the communities that we are working with. That sounds excellent. Thank you so much again for speaking with us, Erica. It's been really cool to learn more about you and Grid Alternatives. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This has been another edition of Ask a Bet. Join us each month as ISPW editor Kathy Zip bringing you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent a decade or more in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.